0: Now, all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina
1: Newsmakers. Our guest this week is uh, Mike Walden, Dr. Mike Walden, who's been on our program I don't know how many times, but one of these days, I'm going to get Jason to count it up and see, because it's going back a long time. And we always appreciate hearing from uh, Dr. Walden, because he is uh, sort of the go-to guy as far as the economy of North Carolina. And of course, he is uh, a, a, I guess you'd say he's a semi retired professor at NC State, uh, the William Neil Reynolds Distinguished Professor of Agricultural and Resource Economics at NC State when he was working. But uh, I, I think you're sort of semi retired now, aren't you? Simi- well, I'm offic- a-
2: yeah, I'm officially retired from the university. I'm a, prof- what's t- called a professor emeritus, <clears throat> but I, I have my own little, company one person company my wife is the vice president so we can we, it's easy for us to have the required annual meeting and um so I do a variety of things projects with people who think I can help them businesses I do I love to do talks still travel around the state doing talks and do work with great people like you and Jason with the media so yeah I'm keeping busy doing things uh, that I I like to do though well, and we'll talk about some of the
1: projects you're doing as far as uh, publishing uh, new books or articles, okay. and we'll talk about that later on. But right now, I think we have probably start off with we're not that far away from the turn of the, of the year. And so, basically, I'll ask you the question I probably asked you last year this time. What's your outlook for 2024? Uh, and you can take it in two parts, nationally and also locally in the state of North Carolina.
2: Well, first of all, let me say that I think the big surprise for 2023, and if you go back and check the tape a year ago, what I said 2023 was going to look like, uh, was that we did not have a recession. Most economists were predicting a year ago that we'd have a recession sometime in 2023. Uh, we have not. Uh, we're moving toward what many, what, what economists call a soft landing. And what, let me give context to that. The big problem right now in the economy, and it has been for a while, is high inflation. Uh, we had over 9% inflation year over year, a little over a year ago. It's gotten better, but it's still got not, not gotten to the level that we had pre pandemic. And, and Don, what not only does inflation, um, cause prices to go up and people to say, well, I can't buy that or this or that. What, what really causes the problem with people, for people with inflation is typically wages or salaries, however you want to say earnings, don't keep up. And so literally people's standard of living goes goes in reverse. And I, I've had this um, somewhat of a debate with an economist who's at Princeton in the Wall Street Journal. He has been writing columns saying, I don't understand, this is him talking, I don't understand why people are so down on the economy. And he cites all these good things that have been happening in the economy, and, and and he's right on those. But I've written back, and fortunately the Wall Street Journal has published my, my replies, and I've told said, look what people focus on is their standard of living people don't necessarily take out uh, pencil and paper and do a lot of uh, calculations but they just know they feel in their gut they're not able to buy as much with the money they earn now compared to pre-pandemic and actually if you do take out the pencil and paper and work the calculations people are right the average household is able to buy less with the money they have because prices are so much higher compared they were pre-pandemic. So going into 2024, to, to directly answer your question, uh, I think we're gonna see improvement on that on that matter. I think that we have an inflation rate right now. The last reading came out a couple days ago, uh, 3.2% year over year, much better than the 9.2% we had. And uh, the Fed's goal is to get that to a, a 2% level and i think overall 24 will get will finally get us there i think when we're talking a year from now i think people will be much more uh, impressed with the economy i think people will uh, finally start to see the so-called light at the end of the tunnel where they can they, they think they're getting ahead i do think don though there might be some rough spots in the early part of the year i don't think an official recession i would not be surprised though to see the unemployment rate actually go up a little bit in, in some months in the first half of the year. Uh, maybe some job losses. Uh, maybe some industries uh, taking big losses. I don't think anything shattering though. Like certainly not like the COVID recession, and, and not like the uh, subprime recession of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, was sparked by the housing collapse. Nothing like that. Maybe unemployment in the first part of the year will get up to roughly four, four and a half, five percent. But I think by the end of the year, it'll be back down in the 3% range. So I think I think 2024 is going to be a tale of two two halves. First half of the year, challenging, but not disastrous economically. Second half of the year, much, much better.
1: Well, that's interesting because, of course, there will be an election next year. And, of course, yes. as, uh, was it Bill Clinton who said... Uh, it's the economy, stupid.
2: <laughs> That's right. And his advisor, James Carville, said he wished, when he if he came back to life after he passed, he would to come back as the bond market, which uh, which, which means uh, the fact that interest rates are so very very central to people's perceptions of the economy. So, yeah, I, I do think, and yeah, I think what I, if, if what I just said pans out and that we have somewhat of a challenging first half of the year, but things get much brighter than the, than the second half of the year. It's really going to depend on how people, do they look back or do they look forward in terms of the political implications, which, of course, are way beyond. I, I, don't, I don't discuss that, but I do think 24 is going to be a very, very, for a lot of reasons, a very, very interesting year.
1: So what does this mean as far as the uh, so-called interest rate and also the mortgage rates mm-hmm. as far as uh, Will they? Cont- uh, do you think they'll back back down some? And when will that occur?
2: Uh, good question. Uh, first point: I think the Federal Reserve is done raising interest rates uh, here at the end of twenty twenty four. I think they're done. I think they've been happy with what's happened to the inflation rate. Their whole point, incidentally, raising interest rates was to kind of slow the economy down, slow spending down, to take the pressure off of prices, so price inflation would moderate, and that's that's happened. So I think I think they're. They're happy with that. They 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 always worry about raising interest rates that they'll overdo it and push the economy in a recession. So I think they're done. I think they're they're happy with progress and, and looking forward. I think they're happy with where, where things are going to go. Uh next year, 2024, I, I don't I think the Fed will hold where they are for several months. They, they don't I think in, in in their minds, they don't want to throw away all the success they had by by prematurely lowering interest rates. So, so my guess, and it is really a guess, is that they'll probably hold their interest rate that, that's now up to five and a quarter percent. Um, they'll hold it there for, let's just say, the first half of the year. And then the second half of the year, if the inflation rate is getting continuing to moderate and it's getting closer, that magic 2%, then they'll start cutting. And the implication of what I just said, if anyone is listening and, and they're, they're, they're anxious to get to buy a home, um probably you're you're a year off from doing that in terms of if you want to buy when interest rates are going down so but i think in a year the home buying market will look look much better and much more affordable
1: well of course the home market uh, gets killed two ways because because of inflation prices of the home go up and then Mm -hmm. of course the interest rate goes up as well and that's a sort of a deadly combination
2: it has it has been a deadly combination and um (laughs) What the, the interesting thing has been recently, Don, is that builders continue to build homes. What's not happening is people who own existing homes are not selling because what they don't they don't want to sell and then buy another house and have to take out a much higher interest rate. Yeah. So uh, And of course, in North Carolina, you mentioned talking about the difference here in North Carolina. Everything I said applies to North Carolina, except that if we do have a rocky part of the first year, it'll be less rocky here. And that's totally due, not that we're some kind of an exceptional state that that has its own monetary system or anything like that. No, we're tied into the national economy. But what is different than North Carolina is people are still moving here. We're one of the top states for people to move from another state, as opposed to, for example, a state like uh, my, my wife's home state of New York, which is losing people right and left. So if you're in a state like North Carolina where people are moving here, They're going to bring new money to spend. Uh, They're going to bring new jobs. And so even if the overall national economy is weakening, yeah, we'll weaken some, but we certainly won't weaken as much.
1: Well, growth is certainly big. And, of course, we continue to see more announcements about uh, uh, job opportunities in North Carolina. So that uh, bodes well. Uh, On the uh, state government side, uh, uh, will there be any effect on the state because its budget has been... uh, uh whatever uh, inflation is caused uh, is probably offset by additional taxpayers
2: Uh, yeah but but of course those additional taxpayers bring bring more um spending by the state they they use schools they use roads etc yeah i think we're going to hear some stories don again in the first half of 24 where there's going to be some worries about about the state budget I think the growth in state revenues are going to slow down. Of course, all the COVID money is, is is gone and we're not getting any more COVID money. So yeah, we might see some challenges for, for a state government in terms of um, meeting what they projected they need to spend versus the money they need to spend. But nothing, I don't see anything disastrous. Like you can go back several recessions and you know probably this better than I do where state really, really was uh, in a ringer because they, uh, I think that we had times where state workers had to be laid off, et cetera. I don't see anything like that. But I do see, I see some, you'll, you'll have some discussions about this and maybe some projects that the state wanted to do. Maybe they'll put aside and say, well, we're going to wait until things improve a little bit. So so I, I don't want to paint a bleak picture, but I, I do want to paint a picture that says, again, I think the best word for the first half of 24 is challenging.
1: We, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I guess influences people because they see the prices on the uh, boards all the time and that's gas prices and right now they seem to be backing down right. i never understood how that works
2: well in, the, in winter it usually works this way don because everything in economics is supply and demand and i always used to tell my students when i give them a test if you get to a question you have no clue what the answer is write down supply and demand i'll give you probably give you partial credit but usually what happens in winter people don't drive as much and if, as long as oil supplies continue at what they were doing uh, that's going to automatically mean some dampening of, of prices and we've already seen that um now the big question out there <laughs> the gigantic question out there uh an economists have been talking about this ever since the middle east war started is could we see that war um uh, extend to affect oil markets particularly if someone, and that someone would probably be uh, Israel, but, you know, who knows, it could be us, Uh, went into Iran and took out their refineries, took out their their ports, and really took their oil off the market, Uh, then we'd see a spike in oil prices, and that would set up a spike in gas prices. But right now, things are looking good for people uh, who particularly are going to travel, or if you travel for work, or if you're traveling for some time off, gas prices are looking much better now. Yes.
1: As far as North Carolina's bond rating, uh, uh, North Carolina, uh, uh, at least I believe I understand, we're actually in a, a state where we're reducing our total bond uh, uh, debt. Um, so, uh, and there's no bond referendums. I don't believe of any major latitude on the uh, uh, on the agenda. So, that, our bond rating will probably stay about the same. Is that right?
2: Oh yeah i think i mean north carolina you have had you know different governors at different parties different general assemblies at different parties obviously but i think traditionally north carolina has been fiscally run very very well and uh that i think that's reflected in the bond rating and you're absolutely right that uh, we've not i don't know of any bond issues that are that are going to be on uh, next year but in 24. One, one thing i'll just throw in here is we're funding we're starting to fund gas we're starting to fund transportation differently with uh, sales tax, for example. Our
1: guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after we take time out for these messages.
3: When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? For your daughter's first birthday party. You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like quince. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit. And make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov slash plan.
0: Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
1: The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SavedByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByThescan.org. It could save your life. SaveByThescan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council.
0: We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden. And uh, we are talking about the economy and uh, not only the uh, economy here in the United States not only here in North Carolina, but also worldwide. And the worldwide economy is so involved in the Ukraine-Russian war, uh, the uh, Israeli situation. Uh, and uh, those questions, I guess, are ones we just don't have answers for right now. Uh, so you might want to give us a, a look at what might happen uh, in those fronts as best you can tell.
2: Well, it, it looks like the Ukraine war is just is just going to plod right on. Um, Ukraine, of course, um, uh, said they were going to do this big offensive. It uh, was starting way back in the summer. Here it is uh, winter, and they I think they picked up a couple kilometers, but that's about it. So that looks like it's grinding down. Uh, who knows where that's going to go? Uh, the Middle East war, of course, is new. Uh, I think everyone hopes for a quick resolution. Um, It's obviously sparked a lot of controversy, and I think the big, if you want to broaden this and talk about impacts on our pocketbooks, again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the big question mark there is, could we see oil prices go up because of what's happening there? And and there's a precedent for this. We had a a couple, uh, actually, recessions in the 70s that were due to interruptions of oil supplies coming out of the Middle East. Ironically, I, I, when I say this to groups I speak to, they say, "Well, that means we ought to be producing more oil." Or actually, we are producing more oil here. That we're, we're going up. I think we've actually hit a record in production. But there's so much oil still that comes out of the Middle East. So, yeah, if you if you wake up one morning and you hear that, yeah, over over while we were asleep, uh, the Israel, these um the Iranian refineries were taken out. Uh, m- expect uh, gas prices to go up, but hopefully that will not happen. Another big news item in terms of the world economy is China. China is in a lot of trouble with their economy. Uh, They are suffering. Uh, They're probably headed for a fairly significant recession. I think this says something about when you have a centrally controlled economy, rather than a market economy, you can run into problems. They've totally overdone it in terms of building housing um they, they've got big subdivisions in, in China they're just sitting vacant they spent a lot of money bought a lot of money so China is uh, is really having some problems and we look we here in the US we've had good growth economic growth during 2023 we've had uh, low unemployment we've had jobs and we look very very good compared to them uh, the UK I think is sort of in the middle they're not doing as well I'm sorry the the EU not the I'm the European Community not doing as well as we are, but certainly doing better than China. So I think we're we're in a good position moving into 2024 vis-a-vis other countries.
1: Where does Russia fit into all of this? Uh,
2: who knows? Who knows what, uh, it's hard to get, I mean, especially over the last couple of years, we were suspicious pretty much of everything that comes out of Russia. Um, the reports that I have read, and I'm, I don't consider myself a Russian expert, is they they're having a lot of trouble. They're spending a lot of money, obviously, on the war. Uh, they had to divert resources. Consumers are really suffering in, in, in Russia. It's not as if they're going bankrupt, but they're just having to divert so much money to their military machine that, that people are, are what people got used to in, in terms of just being able to buy ordinary consumer goods and services. They're just not available. So and and some people and this is way beyond me. Some people say at some point there's going to be a breaking point if the people are suffering so much, even though Russia is uh, obviously a one party, almost a dictatorship, that at some point uh, you may see some sort of a political change there due to the fact that uh, their economy is just uh, so committed to to military operations and are not providing what people really want and need.
1: You know, and of course, there's lots of speculation about the health of, of uh, Putin Mm-hmm. And uh, the succession plan. What are the economists looking at in that regard? Or do they think a, a harder line or a lighter line would uh, be more likely as a succession plan?
2: Well, again, this is way outside of my area of expertise, Don. But my my opinion would be if uh, if Putin were to be removed or if he were if he were to pass my guess the guess, total guess is you'd have some successors that would probably try to wrap things up with the ukraine war because i think there'd be a lot of pressure on them due to the fact of due to what i've said just in the previous segment was that people are suffering so much so my my fingers would be crossed if putin were off the stage would he'd be replaced with maybe a group of people maybe not one person initially who would be a little more accommodating to maybe have a ceasefire, have some, some resolution of the Ukrainian conflict so they could get back to dealing with their internal economy.
1: Well, just a few moments ago, you said you expect the Ukraine war to continue to grind. How long do you think uh, it would be before the Russian people would say, wait a minute, we've had enough, we're, we're suffering, uh, we're giving up uh, things for something that we don't really quite understand?
2: um I'm, I'm, I'm again not my area of expertise but I'll just throw in what I perceive I do try to read widely I'm surprised we haven't heard more about dissension within Russia and maybe there is and we just don't we just don't hear it uh I I it would be hard for me to imagine if you wanted the a, a time frame hard for me to imagine that this would go on this being the the, the current conflict go on for another say five years I just can't imagine the Russian people putting up with it and I can't imagine that the I mean there are power there are power centers within Russia I mean Putin isn't the only power center it, it's harder for me to imagine those power centers not to be influenced by dissension from the Russian people that might actually turn into um, rebellion so I would say at the outside uh, another five years and I think that even sounds too long I maybe back that up to three years
1: so we've talked about the uh, economies of nations that we know about. What about the so-called third war, third world countries? Where uh, what is their economic situation, and what is your forecast for them for the year?
2: Well, I think there's some excitement about the so-called third world countries, mainly due to our energy transition, because many of these countries, particularly countries, and I'm thinking of countries in Africa in particular, have um, energy. Um, sources like cobalt just to throw out one that we need if we're going to continue transforming our our energy economy and move to systems where uh, we have uh, batteries are powering things and and, etc and so i i think there's some um, some expectation that some of the third world countries again particularly in africa may uh, may see a rebound if you look in South Asia, of course, Southeast Asia, Vietnam is really an up and coming, I don't even know if you wanna call them third world country. They are definitely up and coming in terms of manufacturing, Thailand the same way. I think Indonesia a little bit behind, Philippines a little bit behind. But I think there's some, some possibilities for real progress in many of those nations. A lot of it tied though to the energy transition.
1: Well, we've talked about Africa, what about South America?
2: uh south america um i mean they i don't know that i would call them thorough world i think quite frankly don i think a lot of the problems that persist in south america is that they've not gotten their political system uh, um uh, they, they don't have the political system that actually fosters economic growth i think venezuela is is a great example they're essentially a dictatorship they're a socialist dictatorship that means everything in the economy is is, is decided by the the, the ruling people. Um, they don't have competition and they've gone backwards. Um, I think Argentina has a big election that's coming up that uh, that may determine where they go. So I think the problem in South America is not say literacy or it's not it's not the uh, the fact they don't have roads. I mean they' they're, they're, those countries are old, similar to us. I think it, it has more to do with their political systems. With in many cases the political decisions or the or the outcomes of those political systems not being able to foster economic growth.
1: Now this is a question I get every time I have you on the show. They always say you never ask about the stock market. <laughs> so Let's switch and say okay, let's talk about the stock market for a few moments. We we talk about the mortgage rates and the interest rates. What is your forecast for other than the fact that it will continue to fluctuate? Other than that, what is your forecast? For the uh, stock markets for the coming year
2: yeah well there are two reasons why I don't I don't get into the stock market number number one there are a lot of other people who, who do that and but number two uh, realistically I think it is very very difficult to present forecast that any person would would absolutely say this is, is by, by this is by dandy exactly what's going to happen. Because the stock market is a reflection of pretty much everything that goes on, not only economically, but politically. You talk about world events. I mean, everything really is condensed into how investors think about the future. And then they they bet that, they bet what they think in terms of either selling or buying on the stock market. So I think it takes just an incredible amount of, uh, how should I, I, I put it, gumption to say, yeah, here's my forecast for the stock market. It's going to be X percent higher X percent lower next year um now you, you can say you can certainly say well if this happens uh this should be good or bad for the stock market and of course a good example of that would have been on um what was it Tuesday we got the uh most recent I'm sorry most recent replay inflation report for October came out and it was came in at 3.2 percent year-over-year actually lower than what was expected And the next day, the stock market jumped 500 points. The Dow jumped 500 points. So that's a good example of good news being reflected on the stock market. So that would have taken someone to predict exactly what was going to happen with inflation in order to to know that that stock market or predict the stock market was going to go up. I tell people that um, you should have money in the stock market. How much you have should probably vary with your age. I think as you age, you should cut back because you're going to need your money. And then the second thing I tell them, um, diversify. And there we have. Fortunately, we have great ways to diversify in the stock market. You buy what's called index funds. There are several of them uh, on the stock market. And what you're doing is you're buying a whole slew of stocks. So you're not putting your your betting on one or two or whatever stocks. And I think that best serves you. There's an economist named Burton Machiel. Uh I think he's almost 100 years old. He's published the same book. Uh, new editions of this book. I think he's in the 20th edition called A Random Walk Down Wall Street. It's a great read. I think it tells you exactly the points I'm making, and um, that's the way that I that's the way that I approach the stock market. Yes, it should be part of your portfolio, but and and you can have fun. I mean, maybe maybe someone says, you know, I bought to I don't, you ought to invest in this and that. And that. Yeah, you can you can have some fun, and by fun I mean throwing a few dollars in, but certainly don't throw a, a large percent of your money in something that is very speculative.
1: Got about a minute to answer this question: Is usually the stock market ahead or behind of the actual uh, economy?
2: Well, supposedly it's ahead, but it's not only it's not always right. That's the point. Yeah. So it, it's supposed to be ahead. It's supposed to to reflect. It's it's a it's a collective reflection. Of what investors think is going to happen in the future. So the simple way of looking at this is if the stock market's going up, people are optimistic about the future. If they're going down, they're pessimistic about the future. But those, those uh viewpoints can be wrong. I mean, that's you put your finger right on. That's what make this makes this so incredibly difficult. And I don't try to do either. I just say I'm going to have money in the stock market, I'm going to have it widely dispersed. Uh, and I'm going to let it ride. If it goes down, it goes down, but I know
1: it's going to come back. Good advice. Dr. Mike Walden is our guest, and we will have another segment. And uh, in the next segment, we probably want to focus a little bit on the national debt uh, and the uh, deficit budgets and how much deficit we can afford in this upcoming budget and how high can the national debt be before it's too much. And, of course, with interest rates rising, that's a problem, and we'll talk about that when we return with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers and our guest, Dr. Mike Walden.
4: They are our cuddlers and co-workers, machines and love bugs, and constant companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life so much better. When we face unexpected challenges in life, so do our pets, That's why we're on a mission to support people who love their pets, and the pets who love their people. Ensuring these families stay exactly where they belong, together, and you have something to offer. With an open heart and mind, there's nothing you can't do. There's no gesture too small or too big when it comes to helping. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts you can help keep pets and people together. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. (coughs) When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at the shelter brought to you by the ad council, the humane society of the United States and Maddie's fund.
0: Now, once again, with today's Carolina newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden. And, uh, he has been with us so many times. I don't know how many times, but, uh, I'm going to get Jason to research that one of these times, and uh, that way I will be able to say with certainty. But we've been leaning on him for advice for our listeners for years, and his advice is usually pretty much right on target. Uh, Mike, we we said right before the break we were going to focus a little bit on the national debt Mm -hmm. and the continued deficits and the uh, spending levels. And of course, this is an election year, so nobody is uh, really excited about cutting budgets because that might mean that uh, a loss of a vote here or t- there. So election years don't usually have dev- uh, budget cuts. But where do we stand on the national debt? How much can we afford? Is it uh, reaching a level where it's going to be really high? And of course, rising interest rates mean that we're paying more on that debt.
2: Well, I like to, and then I get this question all the time. I just spoke to about 600 uh, accountants the other day in, in Greensboro, and that question came up and I'm prepared for it. So this is always a good question, and I understand it's an important question. The way to look at the national debt, first of all, is not necessarily look at the amount. If you look at $32 trillion, you're going to say, my gosh, we're, we're, we're toast. There's no way we're going to pay that, pay off that debt. You don't really have to pay it off. What you have to do is carry it. I and mean, think of, think of when you buy a house. You buy well. If you're in Raleigh, you buy a four hundred thousand dollar, five hundred thousand dollar house, which seems like a ton of money, but you you then pay a monthly amount to, to carry that, and as long as that monthly amount fits into your budget, you're 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 pretty much fine. That's sort of the same thing at the at the federal level with respect to the national debt. they not look at the the amount, but look at the carrying cost. and and then look at that carrying cost as a percent of all the expenditures of the of the federal government. And what you see, Don, if you go back several years, we actually went through a period from about 1990 down to really about 2020, 2020, right before the pandemic, where the carrying cost on the national debt was actually going down because interest rates were going down, you mentioned that. So even though the amount was going up with interest rates going down, uh, it was actually getting cheaper to carry that larger amount of debt. In fact, some economists during this time were saying, hey, Federal government, go out and borrow as much as you can, take advantage of those, of those low interest rates. Now, as you might expect, as interest rates have moved up, that has turned around, plus the fact we, we borrowed a ton of money during COVID, almost $6 trillion in two years automatically put on the national debt. So the Congressional Budget Office, which is really the best forecast for this, is looking at and say 2030, we're probably gonna be back to where we were before that, that decline I mentioned when things are going down. And the challenge this makes for the federal government is not that it can't pay it, it's that how do we wanna pay for it? Do we wanna raise taxes, which is not popular, or do we want to change what we're spending money on, spend money, less money on some things in order to afford the the national debt? So it's it's a practical, what's really a practical political question, it's not so much of an economic question. Uh, Now, one thing I'll mention real quick, Don, because I get this question, too, with respect to national debt. Someone will say to me, well, Walden, uh, we're we're not buddy-buddy with China. Um, They own a lot of our national debt. Couldn't they just say, pay up right now and call it? Wouldn't that put us in in a financial problem? And the answer is no. They can't do that. They, they, They bought a security from the federal government. It's got a term on it. They can't call that before the term. Now, they could sell the debt to someone else, but they can't call it so that's not really that's not really an issue but i like to i like to tell people just think about it if it's in if, uh, in your household if you want to buy a bigger house you can probably afford it but either you have to earn more income to afford it which would be the counterpart to more taxes at the federal level or you have to sort of stop doing other things which again would be a counterpart to the federal government saying in their budget okay we're going to pay more in the national debt but we're not going to do xyz
1: Well, that's a that's a a very interesting uh, assessment of how that works. So you're not particularly worried about the national debt. I take it.
2: Well, I'm 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 in the sense. Well, depends on what you mean by worry. If you if um, am I worried that we can't afford it? No, we can't. But am I worried that we might try to have our cake and eat it too and say, all right, we're going to load, we're going to afford that national debt, but we wanted these other things too which means much higher taxes now that this gets into the tax issue. Are we overtaxed? Are we undertaxed? Should we tax rich people more? Should we tax poor people less? There are a whole host of issues Mm -hmm. there. I tend to look at it from the point of view of uh, if we tax more, that means we've got less money in the private sector, And which part of the economy, the public sector, the private sector best drives the economy. And I think you can make a case that, yeah, there are certain things government has to do and we want to fund them. We certainly, one of those things, of course, is to help folks who, who need a help. I'm all for that. But I think when we get into other areas where we might say, you know, well, the federal government could do this or maybe the private sector could do this, I think there's a lot to be said to looking at the private sector. Oftentimes they can do it more efficiently.
1: We uh, always get questions about the, the uh social security system and mm-hmm. uh, you know from i've been told for the last 50 years that it's going to go broke and it hadn't gone broke yet but uh that is something that we can look at people are living longer and of course that means more benefits are paid out and of course fewer people are working uh where do we stand with the social security system how sound is it
2: here's the deal on that social security system is a very honest agency agency each year they issue a report and then that report they say all right We are now paying out uh, X dollars to people. This is what we promised. How much longer can we do that? And they tell us that. And right now, the latest report said, I think it's 2032. They can continue to pay people what they promised them. Uh, When 2032 comes and and nothing's changed, they're going to cut what people get by about 25%. And then a couple of years after that, they're going to cut another 10%. Uh, because they won't have the money because of the things you mentioned that that people living longer etc birth rate low etc so what's going to have to happen don is the same thing that happened in the early 80s we went through the exact same thing in the early 80s Uh, president reagan at the time started a commission so security commission headed by alan greenspan you had all the groups on that they hammered out solutions and now we're living by those solutions and they're going to, uh, my, my forecast is they're going to do that uh, probably around 2030. Now, like a lot of people say to me, well, Walton, why don't they do it now? Because they're going to, some of the solutions are not going to be popular. Uh, in 1980, two of the solutions were raise Social Security taxes and lower the, um, or I mean, raise the retirement age. People didn't like that. And we're probably going to have to do that again the next round. So I I am confident Social Security is not going to be thrown away. Uh it's too popular. But uh we're, we're there are gonna be changes, and a lot of those changes people won't won't like. But uh yeah, it's the under the underlying factors, Don, that you mentioned. We are living longer. I think that's a good thing. We're having fewer uh, young people come along to pay. You know, you can view that as good or bad, whatever, from social security that's bad. And we have to accommodate to deal with that.
1: So that uh, changes people's planning on their estate and how long, because again, uh, with people living longer, they're going to need more funds longer. Uh, And uh, with Social Security not being as safe as it uh, might be, uh, what should people say age 35 and below start beginning to think about as they look ahead in their estate planning?
2: Well, first of all, I don't—I don't I, I didn't mean to imply Social Security is not safe. I mean, they, if, if nothing's done, there's going to be a problem. But I can't conceive of something not being done. Um, so I, I think Social Security will be pretty much as sound in the future to, as it is now in terms of the money that people are going to get. Probably in another fifty years, they will have another round of this. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think people. That's one of the things that I think young people, especially, they think when they start working, say they're in their late twenties, early thirties. I mean, retirement they want to retire, but that's a long ways off. That's exactly the time they should start saving for retirement because the earlier you save, the less you have to save each month. It's less a burden on you, and you'll be surprised how much that um, how much that accumulates. You mentioned my my next book, which is an investment book, which hopefully will be out in a couple of weeks. Actually. I've got uh, computer programs that people can have access to that allow them to program in their situation and figure out how much do they need to save each month in order to get to a certain level of uh, sustenance, uh, financial sustenance when they, when they retire. So yeah, that is, that is something I encourage people to do. As soon as they get a job, and there are lots of ways. That, I mean, there, there, uh, there are programs, uh, 401ks, Roth IRAs, et cetera. There are some programs out there, which I talk about in my book, that people should should take advantage of. But again, that's something that earlier you start doing it, the better off you're going to be.
1: While we're talking about your book, uh, what's the title of the book?
2: The title of the book, Don, is The 60-Minute Investment Guide. And what I promise in this book, if you read it, you can get through it in, a, in an hour, you'll learn... Uh, uh, you'll learn tactics in three areas. First of all, you'll learn how much do you have to save to reach a certain goal. And I I tell people also how to update that to accommodate inflation. That's number one. Number two, I talk about where to invest and what we were talking about earlier, where the stock market is incorporated in there. And then uh, thirdly, I talk about how to re- how to t- use your money once you're ready to use it now for some things it's not a big deal say if you're saving for a vacation when you get the time to vacation you take the money out but for things like retirement where you're saving for over multiple years hopefully several decades that you'll be retired it gets a little trickier so that third chapter really focuses on retirement and my point is you can get through this book in 60 minutes it's not long and boring and hard and i've got all the all the uh technical calculations you'll have access to on commuter programs that I have online. And so hopefully uh, it'll help people in these uh, financial decisions.
1: And of course, starting early is always key uh, Mm -hmm. because uh, you have the earnings along the way of what you've saved and that adds to it. So starting early in your investment for the retirement years is a key, I would think.
2: Yes. Uh, the, the, the miracle of compound interest is one of the greatest miracles in society. The earlier you start, uh, that, that compound interest is going to start. And even if you didn't add any more money, uh, you're just going to grow and grow and grow because of compound interest. It's a great phenomenon.
1: We, you know, Health benefits continue to go up. Uh, uh, employment uh, costs uh, are, of course, uh, a, that's a part of employment costs and the employer. And the employee are very concerned about that. Uh, is there any hope that employment, uh, that the health cost uh, might uh, level out?
2: Well, we did have, if you watch the um, rate of inflation in health care uh, over the last decade, we actually did have some moderation in that. The, the issue with healthcare, of course, is we want it to become better. And often that times that means new procedures new technology, which tend to be more expensive when they're implemented. So there's sort of a trade off here is, yeah, we'd like cheaper health care, but we know that oftentimes more expensive health care is going to uh, give us better results. Then there's the other th- element here about competition. And Treasurer Falwell has in his career as a state treasurer, who all, actually he's also in charge of the uh, healthcare care system uh, in, in the state, at least for the state, uh, has made a um, has made these points we don't we don't have competition in the healthcare system like we do in other parts of the economy. And I think if we could create more competition, that would eliminate some of the, um, oh, what I'll call them, issues that people often see where they don't know why they were charged this, that, or the other. And they, they look at something and say, wow, it costs that much. So I think hopefully North Carolina can move in that direction. This is usually at the state level where we can encourage more competition between hospital systems and doctors and all elements of healthcare systems because I think in economics we we believe economists believe competition's good because it makes all the players in that market work harder to to deliver because they know if they don't deliver customers are going to go somewhere else.
1: Well, your uh, statement earlier in the program when you had a quiz question that they didn't know the answer, uh, put supply and demand, and you're halfway there.
2: <laughs> that, that's that's right
1: <laughs> the name of the book is 60 Minute Investment Guide and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers our guest is Dr. Mike Walden we're going to talk about student debt and debt forgiveness we're going to talk about the status of the job market and uh, uh, also we want to ask your opinion about Medicaid expansion and what that effect might have on the state of North Carolina and we'll do all that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers, and that will happen right after these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching
4: tattoos on our first date?
0: Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. (laughs) I can probably swim.
2: Uh, you should wait 30 minutes.
0: Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do.
2: Cannonball! (laughs)
0: If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app?
3: Stop. That dog does not want to be petted.
0: (laughs) A heads up before something bad happens.
3: You should not send that text.
0: Uh Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type two diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: And we're back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden who, uh, as we have said, has been on our program numerous times for numerous years. And uh, we've talked about all sorts of things uh, already in the program. And so if you missed the earlier segments of the program, you may want to go back because we talked about inflation. We talked about his forecast for the upcoming year, and we might want to get you to give a brief uh, update on that because some people join the program in in progress. But uh, first of all, let's Let's talk about the student debt and debt forgiveness program, because that's uh, a question that we get from time to time. Exactly where does that stand and what does that mean?
2: Uh, Well, of course, um, under President Obama, the federal government essentially took over um, student loans to individuals. So this is used to be that you could take out a a college loan from private entities. The, The Obama administration pretty much federalized that. So um, this is now in the hands of the federal government and President Biden has made one of his planks of his administration to try to do things to moderate what individuals would have to pay and paying back on that debt. In fact, he had proposals to forgive trillions, of uh, billions of dollars of debt. Supreme Court said he couldn't do that because Congress has to uh, um, um, check off on that. I think right now the, the administration is pursuing other ways. But this really comes back, on to why is college so expensive? Now, we're lucky we're in North Carolina. If you look at the data, uh, and I have for m- many times, look at the data on, and I'm going to look at, at publicly supported schools. Uh, I think North Carolina's uh, co- universities, I'm looking at the university level, uh, we are the sixth lowest in, in tuition and fee costs, sixth lowest among the 50 states. And um, General Assembly has been very good at, um, I think, um, being very modest in terms of uh, allowing increases in tuition. So it's not as much of an issue if you go to a public school, public college, public university, I should say, in North Carolina. It's not a, that's an issue for, for, for those people. But um, the, the the fundamental question, if they ask for others in the country, is well, why is college cost going up so much? And <laughs> If you if you look and I've read a lot in this area Don because obviously I've I worked 43 years in that industry one of the answers is colleges raise tuitions because they can uh, because lots of people want to go to colleges now you've got federally backed loans that'll 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 fund them and it sort of is uh you're on a treadmill there where uh college costs go up federal government uh, allows uh, allows more loans to go out they go up some more, et cetera. Again, I don't think that happens as much here in, in North Carolina. So I think to really get the heart, if we're talking nationally, at the heart of the issue of college, college uh, expenses, you have to really get into why are colleges raising costs and can we can we maybe tweak the system such that they have to be more, more competitive uh, or the other alternatives to say, hey, if you wanna go to that pricey college, we're not gonna have the federal government loan you that money and then pay me, forgive it. You're going to have to borrow it privately, uh, like actually you did uh, as short as a a decade ago. Um, I'm going to change this up, you go on,
1: and change over to the job market, because no matter where you go, you see signs on backs of trucks, you see it on the marquee signs, and uh, you just hear it in general conversation. Uh, The job market is still incredible in the sense that everyone seems to be looking for new employees uh is that uh uh, more acute in north carolina or or and how long will that last because uh i know we at curtis media group we've got something like to 25 or 30 openings and we're not that big a company
2: well it's gotten better uh but you're you're right i still hear when i talk to i try to i talk to a variety of groups from variety of industries uh, you still hear that, uh, especially in construction, for example, uh, government government jobs. Uh, there are a lot of government jobs open and, and you mentioned even in telecommunications. Um, I think I think a couple things happen here, Don. of course, it's all tied to the pandemic. One, we we had a lot of federal aid go in to the economy, uh, I said six trillion dollars over two years and over over two administrations by the way, to help people get through the pandemic. And that that aid lingered for a while, so quite frankly, a lot of people didn't have to go back to work immediately when the economy reopened because they, they were getting funding, if you will, from uh, from federal uh, various federal programs. So that was one thing. Another thing was that uh, during the pandemic, when when things did open up, uh, it's it's been documented that a, many people, uh, particularly young people who are working in low-paying jobs. Like in a restaurant, nothing against those low-paying jobs, but they're just—they're just, they're just low-paying. I started out in the restaurant industry. They—they uh, they took the time that they were off from work uh, during the pandemic to uh, upgrade their skills. And you might say, "Well, how do they do that?" Well, through Zoom, through online courses. And then when the economy reopened, they went off and got a better-paying job. And so those. Those uh, jobs they left had a hard time uh, being filled. I think I mentioned on the program to you before, I have a good friend who had two cocktail lounges in downtown Raleigh. She had to shut down because she couldn't get get her workers back. So, uh, But but things seem to have settled down um, as we get farther away from the pandemic. If you look at statistics like labor force participation, which measures percentage of people who could work, who are actually working, that's gone up. It's still below pre-pandemic, that's gone up. And also if you look at what's called the quit rate which is simply measures the percentage of workers who are leaving their job that's gone down significantly so i don't i certainly don't dispute that companies like yours are still having some problems finding workers but the problem seems to be much smaller than it was say a year or two ago
1: mike uh another question i wanted to ask you and want about a 60 second answer on this because i want you to also recap what you said in the first segment but Medicaid expansion, what does that do to the North Carolina economy?
2: Well, it, it obviously provides people with uh, more people with um, with secure health care. and the argument is of course, uh, if you want workers to be good workers, they have to be healthy workers. So I think over the long run any improvement to health care access is going to improve the economy because it's going to be, it's going to be having workers being healthier and, and not sick, et cetera. And that's a benefit to them. That's a benefit to to their employer. I think the, I think the, the, the question, uh, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about before with competition. I think one question that some people have, and I'll let, I'll let the listeners decide whether this is a valid question or not, with respect to things like Medicare or Medicaid, where they're, they're all government-run, federal government-run, is, again, what does that do to competition? And you always hear the the um, the response that you know maybe what it would be better to do is take all that money we're spending on Medicare and Medicaid and provide vouchers to people that they can go out and buy their own health sh- health insurance. And there is there are a lot of there's a lot of competition in the health insurance markets. So I think that's where the debate comes. It's not a debate about. Uh, better health care makes the economy better clearly that that at least i think that's a solved question that's not a questionnaire that yes it does it makes people better it makes better people better personally as well as better workers I think the question is how do you provide that and even if you how do you, if you have this help from the government how do you provide it does do you have the government run the system or do you have the government provide money resources to people so they can go out and find their own health care
1: now uh you got about Three minutes and 30 seconds to give us a recap of everything that you said in the first segment about the overall outlook for 2024. So you can condense it a little bit. And uh, this is for people who join the program late
2: in progress. Well, um, Federal Reserve, number one, I think is done raising interest rates. Um, So people who are very sensitive to interest rates, I don't think they're going to go higher. Uh, I think they're done raising because they're satisfied that inflation is moderating. That was their whole point of raising interest rates to slow the economy so the inflation rate would be more more moderate. And it looks like as we're heading into 2024, that inflation rate is going to continue to moderate. Now, stopping rising interest rates is not the same as lowering them. I don't see the Federal Reserve lowering interest rates anytime soon. I think maybe by mid-year, mid-2024, they will start to do that which means I think the first half of 2024 is gonna be challenging because with interest rates still high and the inflation rate going down or getting more moderate, that actually makes it more expensive, believe it or not, for people to borrow because they're not gonna be able to pay back with inflated as high of inflated dollars. So I think the first half of, of next year will be the challenging part. I'm not predicting a bona fide recession, but I do think we could have some months where the unemployment rate goes up. I think we could have some months where um, the number of jobs in both the North Carolina and the nation go go down. But I think it'll be it's not it's not going to be a crash. It's going to be a, what I call a challenge. And then I think by midyear, or let's look into the second part of twenty twenty four. I think that's when the Federal Reserve will start lowering interest rates, and I think they'll they'll go rather fast. So that by the end of the year, hopefully this time next year, Don, we'll be looking at maybe an economy with two, two and a half percent inflation rate, and maybe interest rates are about two to three percentage points lower than they are now.
1: Well, it is an election year, and so that uh, comes into play
2: also. Well, uh, that's true, although the Federal Reserve is an independent agency. um, And I think in that matter, and I'm not obviously a political scientist, but I think at that point, given that question, I think it's going to depend when people go to the polls in November, are they looking back and seeing maybe a challenging economy that they remember? Uh, or are they going to look forward and say, hey, things are getting better? It's going to depend on how how people evaluate 2024. Because I think 2024 will have two distinct pieces. Challenging time in the first six months, much more improving time in the second six months.
1: And of course, you uh, were careful to note that uh, changes in the Ukraine-Russian war, the Israeli situation, our relationship with China, all of these things come into play, and uh, they're all moving parts and could change a great deal. Uh, Mike, uh, one other thing we want to bring up one more time is uh, the book that you're working on, The 60-Minute Investment Guide. Uh, yes. That will be out uh, at about... Two or three weeks, did you say?
2: Yeah, that is done. It's at the publisher. They're doing all the final touches, and I will inform my good friend Don Curtis when it is out. Uh, but it'll be available on on Amazon, all of the obvious places that uh, that you buy books. I think it's going to retail for around eleven or twelve dollars for a modest investment, and it's a very brief book. But I think it really gets to the point of uh, investment information that people need. A lot of computer programs you'll have access to to make your own calculations.
1: Well, I'm, I'm anxious to read it, and it sounds like the kind of book that uh, will help people plan not only the immediate future, but the long-range uh, plans that they might have for retirement and looking ahead. Uh, as always, Mike, you've uh, given us a lot of food for thought. Any closing thoughts? You've got about 30 seconds for a closing vault.
2: Well, the economy is always, uh, there are always issues in the economy, even in the best of times. And, and I try, I've, I've made a career of trying to help people get, get through that and understand it. But, uh, yeah, do pay attention to, to the economic news because it does have an impact on your, on your life. Uh, but I do think that, uh, things, things will be getting better. Things will be much, much better in terms of the big picture, uh, of, uh at the end of 2024. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic.
1: If you'd like to repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. For those of you listening to the half-hour version of this program, there are two segments that you missed, and you'll also find those on carolinanewsmakers.com. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He promises me faithfully he'll have another interesting guest next week, and he he always lives up to that. So until next week, on the same group of stations all across North Carolina, we hope you and yours have a great week, and we'll see you next week.
0: Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Cheryl. I'm Scott Fitzgerald, inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers.